Welcome this morning. We're glad you're here today. Yeah, you can cheer for yourself. You made it. How many stayed warm the last few days? Man, I'll tell you what. I'm from Indiana, and where I'm from, you thought it was cold here. It was colder than Antarctica and Siberia last week in Chicago. It was negative 23. Yeah, I was like, thank you, God, for New York. Thank you, Lord. I was down. Well, this morning, we're going to jump right into it. And listen, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a heavy topic. So if you're visiting, I'm sorry. Go listen to our Happier podcast. Um, You'll have a better introduction. But like I said earlier, we as a church are stepping into the conversation about what God says about sex. And so over the last few weeks, if you haven't got a chance to catch up on all the episodes in the podcast for this series, I want to encourage you. It's it's like better listening the second time because um, you're really able to digest the information. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about lust. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Um, and let me tell you, I think we've had the most note takers in this series than in any series ever. So you're welcome for keeping it interesting. And so uh, this morning, we're going to be preaching out of a book. It's an Old Testament book for our new believers. There is no shame in the table of contents. It is in Ezekiel, and it's in chapter 23. Now, I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of meat here, okay? How many like meat? Yeah. Um, so I want to encourage you to go back, but I want to kind of set this up. So uh, we're going to begin with an allegory from the prophet Ezekiel, and it's about two sisters trapped by lust, okay? So for those of you who have been believers for a long time, maybe you've done studies in this um, particular chapter, I want to set it up for our new, newer believers and those newer to reading the Bible or even just new to the Old Testament, is that these sisters represent the divided kingdoms of Israel. So if you want to know what that is, you're going to have to Google that later because I don't have time to get into that that this morning, okay? Um, but you have the two kingdoms of Israel, and so um, one kingdom was, you know, doing all kinds of crazy, and so the, you'd think that the other kingdom would learn by the fall of the other one, and they didn't, and so Ezekiel represents it in these two sisters. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of the context for uh, the chapter. And so we're using that as a part of the story to talk about lust, okay? So I'm just going to read that we are going to use some heavy words. It is not too late to check into V1 Kids if you are uncomfortable. Um, that's my disclaimer. And sorry for the conversations at lunch that you have to explain, okay? Okay, awesome. Praise God. <laughs> um, we're going to turn to Ezekiel in chapter 23, and, and there are some Old Testament names that I will probably butcher. You can meet me at the new here table to give me the correct pronunciation if you are a biblical scholar, okay? Her sister, this is Ezekiel 23, verse 11, her sister Aholabah saw this, and she became more corrupt than her sister in her lust and in her whoring which was worse than that of her sister. Okay, so anybody who told you the Bible's boring hasn't read Ezekiel ever, okay? Just wait till you get to chapter 37. We're not going there today, but I know y'all are going to read it later, so. Um, 
But I'm going to read that to you one more time. Ezekiel 23, verse 11. Her sister Aholaba uh, saw this, and she became more corrupt than her sister in her lust and in her whoring, which was worse than that of her sister. And no, I did not take that from a Facebook status. That is in the Bible, people. That was not in a DM. That was not in Twitter. That was real talk. And so that's, that's how we're going to open up our... Um, our sermon today, but I want to tell you about one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. Juicy, right? Okay, so when, when we were in our young 20s, we had just bought a house, we were newly married, Bella was only a couple years old, um, I got this idea that we just, we needed something more, and so we took a trip to the animal shelter. Do you guys know where I'm going? Okay. And so Bella wanted to hold puppies and do all this stuff. And, and I'm going to tell you, we've inter- we had entertained the idea of possibly getting a, a dog, but we both worked and we were in ministry and it was just a little bit difficult. And so, uh, but one day Mike's like, let's take Bella to the, the animal shelter. Let's have her look at little dogs. It'll be so cute and little kittens. And so we had it up in our mind that we were just going to look. You guys know where I'm going, right? We're just going to look. Now, I'll give you a little bit more backstory. Um, I had actually maybe a few months prior just had a miscarriage. And so, you know, I had this like baby urge, right? And if you can't have a baby, what's the other thing you get? A puppy, right? And so in my mind, as soon as I saw these dogs, I'm like, this is what I've been missing, I need this, right? And there was probably a very real emotional component there. But I had this thing and I'm like, what what became this little season that we just wanted Bella to like hold the puppies, take a few pictures and then move on. I got there and I'm like, I need this. I need this right now. Have you guys ever had tunnel vision after going through a crisis? Maybe it's like an impulse purchase. For ladies, um, we also do this with our hair. Men, if your wife ever comes home and cuts all her hair off, give her a hug. She is going through something, okay? (laughs) And so there's two things that Julie Signorelli does when she goes through crisis is uh, I will cut all my hair off or not like shaved head Britney Spears, but I will do a significant amount of cutting um, on my hair. And then I'll think about getting a dog. So if I ever show up with short hair and a golden retriever, just buy me chocolate or something. I don't know. But we had it in our mind that we were just going to look. And so we saw this fluffy, it was like this border collie um, German shepherd mix. I mean, literally like the cutest thing you'd ever seen in your life. And we bring it home. Now, this was in the age of Jersey Shore when that show first came out. And so we named the dog Polly D., That has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just letting you know that that's what we did. And, um, but here's the thing. So we, 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 we did it. We got the dog, we brought it home and about, you know, four hours in, it was good. And then the dog just starts pooping everywhere. And so we, we hung in there for a good six months and then, you know, we couldn't do it anymore. But here's the thing. Puppies are irresistible, right? Because you fixate on how they make you feel. You're so fluffy. I can't handle it. And men, you guys do this too, okay? So don't even. I've seen my husband when he holds a dog. It's really cute. 
They're cuddly, right? They're fluffy. And you're thinking, you're not thinking about the kennel training or how many times it's going to pee in the cage, even though the lady who sold me the dog said that they wouldn't do that. Or how many shoes and purses that they're going to chew up, right? Or buying food or eating the furniture. Hello? You don't think about that. You don't think about the cost, right? And lust is a little bit like that too. It causes you to fixate on what that person will do for you. I wasn't thinking about what I was going to do for the dog. I was thinking about what the puppy was going to do for me, right? And so you, you don't really think about serving that person, right? You think about taking from that person and how it will make you feel. So number one, with lust, promising you're only going to look will leave you with a lot more damage than you intended. Over and over again in scripture, this is what happens to men and women in the Bible who, who struggle with lust. First, they see it with their eyes. Then they lust in their heart. And then they create a reality. You see this with David, right? King David, when he's on the rooftop and he's seeing Bathsheba bathe, right? And he lusts after her and then he calls after her and then he creates a reality. And the damage after that was insurmountable. Robert Morris says, when it comes to lust, the key is not to look because as soon as you look, you start comparison and you start making memories. Comparison and memories are two very difficult chains to break. Two very difficult soul ties to sever. Not impossible for God, but on your own, completely impossible. So let's read on more in Ezekiel chapter 23. I'm going to read this chunk of scripture, uh, verses 12 through 16. It says that she lusted after the Assyrians governors. Now notice these are plurals, right? Assyrians, governors, and commanders, warriors clothed in full armor, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. And I saw that she was defiled. They both took the same way, but she carried her whoring even further. Verse 14, she saw men portrayed on the wall, Let's stop right there. A lot of people were like, well, pornography isn't in the Bible. There were some pretty lustful images that were painted on walls in different places, and people would look at them and lust after them because they would be in some sort of homage to a God that they created, God with a little g. Does this make sense? Is this hitting anybody this morning? The images of the Chaldeans portrayed on the vermilion wearing belts on their waist and flowing turbans on their heads, all of them having the appearance of officers, these people that she was lusting after, a likeness of the Babylonians whose native land was Chaldea. And when she saw them, tell your neighbor, I was only going to look. She was only going to look when she saw them. She lusted after them and sent messages to them in Chaldea. Now, in Ezekiel's time, she sent messengers to bring them to her home. But in our time, we get DMs. Same sin, different time. 
In Ezekiel's time, her pornography, look at verse 14, was, were images in a, on, our, on a wall. And in our time, they're images on our phone. You don't think the Bible related to you, did you? Pretty relatable, huh? Lust escalates. Lust escalates. Lust doesn't plateau. It never stops at looking. Lust takes you deeper and deeper into isolation. Fear takes you. Lust takes you higher and higher into the realms of shame that produces hopelessness. Robert Morris, I was listening to a sermon that he preached to a group of men regarding this topic, and what he said was, if you have sexual immorality in your life, you are a liar. And the reason is, is because you can't have sexual morality, immorality, and honesty in the same place because you're always hiding you're always hiding. You're either hiding it from your spouse, you're hiding it from your kids, you're hiding it from your job, you're hiding it from yourself sometimes. James chapter 1, now we're going to the New Testament, okay? So James 1 verses 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I need somebody in this house to say with me, don't blame your phone. The Bible says that we're tempted and lured and we're enticed by our own desire. That desire is already in you. Then, verse 15, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I told you it was heavy. Here's the thing. When the Bible talks about death in here, there are things like sexually transmitted diseases that could lead to death. But more often than not, the things that I see in, in our office is not physical death, it's spiritual death. It may not take your body, but it will take your life. Lust and perversion without bringing it to the cross, without going on a journey to freedom, will take your marriage. It will take the possibility of a healthy marriage. It will ruin your relationships and it will ruin every relationship around you unless you are able to conquer it. Those who have been victim to the escalations of lust can testify to this damage. Am I right, somebody? Here are a, key, a few key distinctions between lust and love. See, lust is what the enemy will try to entice you with passion. But God has another way, and it's called love. And so I want to give you these two, um, these two different versions. Lust is plural. Love is singular. The two sisters in Ezekiel were going aggressively after many men. I don't think it started out like that. 
But as you can tell, when you read on through the scripture, it says that it started when she was young and it just kept escalating and escalating and escalating and escalating. Lust is selfish. Love is selfless. Polly D, our dog, right? May he rest in peace. We gave him to a family, though, and, and they kept him for years, and he just passed. Isn't that so sad? Anyways, um, Polly D, we wanted fluffy cuddles, not the responsibility. Love or lust is short-sighted. Love works with eternity in view. Why do you think we cry so hard, men, when we watch The Notebook? And if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. You're probably going to have to watch that today on Netflix. Sorry about you. It's because the love was eternal, right? When they're laying in the bed and they're so old, spoiler alert, you're like, it was them the whole time. Love works with eternity in view. Lust is foolish. Love is wise. Lust rushes and takes. Love is patient. For those of you who are single in relationships and you have a, a partner who doesn't understand God's way of sex, waiting for your marriage, and they're constantly pressuring you, that's lust. Because a dating relationship without boundaries is a marriage without boundaries. And if you've been married for five minutes, let me tell you, you got some boundaries. You just can't say anything you want. You can't do anything you want. You can't just go on about your life and not check in and not have responsibility. And so when you're dating, it's not because God is trying to stop you from doing something he created for pleasure. What he's trying to do is teach you how to be patient, how to be long-suffering. He's trying to teach you healthy boundaries that when you get into a marriage and you hit a crisis, it isn't going to fall apart because you're not having sex anymore. Can I get an amen? Amen. Lust sees a a person as an object to be used, and love treats a person as a soul to be cherished. Ezekiel 23 verse 14 said, it did not satisfy, it increased her desire. A lot of people say, I just need to sow my wild oats. Have you ever heard that? I just need to get crazy while I can because I know I'm going to get tied down with an old ball and chain, right? That's a lie. Lust doesn't sow and then leave. Lust sows and then you reap it. And what do we say? Whatever we sow, we reap, and whatever we plant, we eat. And so anything that you sow, you will reap if you don't bring it to the Lord under repentance and change. Verse 19 said, yet, he, yet she increased in her whoring, remembering the days of her youth when she played the whore in the land of Egypt. I told you we were going to use some crazy words today. Welcome to church. 
that will not be on our next V1 t-shirt. The things that she did when she was young. You know, God has a way of making, God created sex. And so it's no question that when we come together in that relationship and in that, in that way, that the, the things that happen, it, it creates a bond, an emotional connection. And it says that she kept going back to her sexual experiences in her mind. Proverbs 5 Verses 15 through 17, if you're taking notes, Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 17, says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Married people, can I get an amen? Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the street, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're single or married, quit scattering your sexuality all over the street. That is not God's heart for you. He doesn't want to keep you from enjoying life. He's trying to get you into right relationship, not only with him, but for somebody who's got an eternity view to cherish your soul. Not your body. Drink from your own well. Can I just speak to the married people in the room for a minute? It is not better with someone else. The lie that the enemy will sell you through lust is that I'm only going to look because I'm not satisfied in, in the relationship that I'm in and you rationalize it. Well, I'm not cheating. I'm just looking. The Bible says that the iniquities would be passed down. Here's the difference between a transgression and an iniquity. Robert Morris did a teaching where he said, transgressions is what you do outward and iniquity is what you do inward. We've got to get control over the inward iniquities. We got to bring those to Jesus. It's not just about what we act out. Does that make sense? How many of you have been in the place where the very thing you thought you wanted most, but when it's over, like the women in the book of Ezekiel, you turn to disgust. It says in verse 17 that, the, that those who defiled her, she turned in disgust. It may look like on the outside that this person is having the time of their life on Instagram, showing their body, showing them with different people every single day, hooping it up in the club. You know I was going to say it. And yet, when they go home and they're left to their own thoughts, brokenness, abandonment, fear, isolation, lying, covering up. If you don't rule lust, lust will rule you. I'm going to say that again. If you don't rule lust, Lust will rule you. I hate the phrase, boys will be boys. She's just living it up. 
She's living her best life. Oh, you know, that's just how he is. It literally makes me sick because what I'm seeing is what it's talking about in Proverbs, that they're just putting their sexuality all over the street. They don't care about their soul. And married men, if you don't rule lust, lust will rule your home. And if your argument is that I haven't cheated, just let me tell you, you haven't cheated yet. I know that's a hard word. I'm sorry, I know it's hard. But the reason that I can preach an authority in this subject is because my marriage survived getting a handle on this issue. My marriage was riddled with, uh, with anything that you can imagine. And you know what? God healed it and restored it. So I don't say this in judgment. I'm saying this in hope this morning. It is possible. It is possible this morning. Lust doesn't go on autopilot. The enemy is going to promise pleasure. He's going to promise sexual freedom. He's going to promise fulfillment. But the only thing that the enemy gives is death. I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Lust leaves collateral damage. Love leaves a legacy. Lust leaves collateral damage, but love will leave a legacy. Here's the hope. Can I read this to you? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. I told you so. That's not love. But rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Some people have come to us for prayer in this series, really desiring freedom in this area. I want to read this scripture in Matthew verse 29. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you to be without one of your members than perish, than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you to it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Here's the thing. 
I'm sure you can, you know, a theologian can probably pull that apart different ways. I don't necessarily think that their meaning is literal. I don't think that, like, our desire is not that you cut off your hand out here in the hallway. Please don't. We won't be able to have church here anymore. <laughs> it was a joke, guys. <laughs> I think what it's saying is if your eyes are causing you to sin, stop looking. And some people are waiting for an angelic visitation and God's saying, just buy a flip phone. Some are waiting for a burning bush experience and God's saying, just hit the block button. We have to take ownership over our freedom. Anytime I see somebody with breakthrough and no discipline, I feel like, man, the time is ticking. When you get breakthrough, it is imperative that you put discipline because when you have discipline and breakthrough, you have revival. You have change in your life. You have legacy. You have a life without fear. Do you know how much effort you spend hiding I want to give you some hope this morning. Love doesn't compare. Love doesn't violate or push boundaries. Love doesn't take with a temporary commitment. Love is in it for the long haul, for the ups, for the downs, for the good days, for the bad days, for the times when you've earned the good driver discount and the times when you lose it. Guys, freedom is here this morning. I know this is heavy. I know that it's much easier for millennials to preach on rest because when we preach on rest, man, it is like revival is in the room. It's a tough thing to preach on discipline. I don't think that you're ever going to stop having ungodly desires. The Bible says that we're born into sin. If you have a toddler, you understand this. Nobody teaches a toddler to say no. Nobody teaches a toddler to steal candy. Nobody teaches a toddler to be selfish. Those are things that are in them. Guys, it's in you. But through Jesus, we can be redeemed. We can be set free. We can have the fruits of the Spirit. Amen? It's possible. Would you stand with me this morning? I know that the way that we're speaking this morning about this area is very countercultural especially as a woman who lives in Queens in New York City. I mean, what's popular is do whatever you want. You have total ownership. But every week I'm holding women who are crying over the freedom that culture has told them that they had. There's been no real fruit of freedom that I've seen. But when we do it God's way, the normal, the, the cultural normal is redefined. God is not interested in you living boring. 
I don't want you running around in a bunch of nun uniforms. That's, I, I, I praise God for people like Mother Teresa and those who are called to singleness and serving and, and solitude, all that stuff, man, that is awesome. But y'all are at church in a movie theater, so I know God didn't call you to that. I'm a woman preaching up here in jeans, okay? So you guys are like, you know, the wild ones. No perfect people allowed. We're not asking for perfection. We're asking you to try it God's way. The testimonies that you've heard every week are about people who are saying, I did it my way, and now I did it God's way, and I'm free. Doesn't make sense. Culturally, it's not going to make sense. I know that. But God's way is freedom. Can we just close our eyes this morning? I just want to give everybody just a little bit of privacy. If you have been waiting for freedom in this area, I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now about the discipline that you need to walk it out. I don't care if every person in here has a flip phone and we have to shut our new website down. I'm good with it if it means freedom. I just feel that journey is going to look different for, for each person. For women, it might be comparison. Maybe you've been comparing how you look or your sexuality to someone else's. I would just want to speak freedom over you this morning, that you can be exactly who God created you to be, that there can be fulfillment in your marriage. There can be fulfillment when you look in the mirror and see what you see, that God is setting you free from that shame and that bondage. I believe that's for a woman in the room right now. Men, if you uh, have just been struggling in this area, I just want to encourage you extreme ownership of discipline. I think that's the word that the Holy Spirit wants to speak in this room right now is ownership of the discipline. God, we just pray, God, for courage to go home and take that effort tonight. And for those of you who came into this and you're like, whoa, I just came to come to church this morning. There's freedom for you too. And that's through a life fulfilled and lived out through Jesus Christ. Maybe this isn't your struggle. That's okay. This wasn't my struggle. I understand. But what happened was, is I stepped into a marriage where this was a struggle. And so the Lord used this information growing up so that when it came time to activate it, I was ready. So if you have never accepted Jesus into your heart, would you just raise your hand this morning? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you will be saved. That's it, it's simple. Aren't you thankful for how simple that God made things? Man, God is so good. I just wanna pray over you. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in B1 Church. God, I thank you for freedom. I'm so thankful for freedom this morning, God. I'm thankful for discipline, God. What you spoke, Lord, will be faithful to do when we walk out of this auditorium this morning. God, I thank you and I worship you. And in Jesus' name we said, amen. If you need prayer, I want you to go to the top. 
Pastor Julie just threw down an absolutely incredible word today, and I know that it has impacted your life. Here's what I want you to do. Make a commitment that you are going to utilize every single thing that you heard her communicate, because I know that it will change your life. And we'll see you on all social at V1 New York. You can hit us up on Facebook if you type in V1 Church or follow our new location, V1 Queens, by searching V1 Queens on Facebook, and we'll see you next week.